Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Katie. I'm Mel. And we're your hosts. This week we watched The Man Who Invented Christmas, directed by Bharat Naluri and released in 2017. The plot of the movie goes something like this. After a series of flops and in financial strife, Charles Dickens needs to write a hit novel before Christmas. Yes, um, and first up we will do uh, the thing we've been doing lately where we say whether people should see this movie. So, Katie, should people see this movie? Um, yeah. I mean, if you're looking for a sort of a nice, fun movie to watch around Christmas, it's pretty good. I don't know if there are any other Christmas-themed movies coming out. I mean, there was Bad Mums, but... That, that's um, uh, a little different. A little different, probably will ap- appeal to a different... Um, I feel like this is this is a movie that would be enjoyed by... Uh, sort of the crowd that was there today, like the older people kind of crowd. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, I had fun. I kind of liked it. So it hit me in a number of feels. This mm. movie, it, it was very emotive, and I say that as someone who's not a great Charles Dickens fan. It just, it was really it's like not really a Charles Dickens movie. Well, no, and I think. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and uh, having never read A Christmas Carol, the novel or the novella, I don't need to because I know the story. But if you know the story of, of A Christmas Carol, it's really good. But it's also about, um, I don't know, I think it, some things that were particularly timely for me and probably you at the moment, like creative and financial and mm-hmm. professional failure and being in your mid-30s and trying to deal with all that sort of thing. So it kind of hit me in a lot of those feels, but it also hit me in the, the feels that A Christmas Carol is supposed mm. to hit you in where you think about what you've done and the relationships you have and, and what you've put into the world and what you how you want to shape the world um, and, you know, the kind of person you we, what you want to be. And I think that was – I thought it was really nice and it definitely, like – I got, definitely got quite emotional watching it and um, had, I had a pretty good time. Like I'm kind of impressed by it because I think from what I can gather, and I haven't done a whole lot of research, but from what I can gather, it seems to be an independent movie. Mm. Didn't have a lot of movie put into it. They appealed, applied for a lot of government funding. Mm. Um, and uh, it's all come together really nicely. There is a little bit of a kind of a TV special feel about it, yeah. but I think there's some pretty good performances and things like that. And I feel like the people who are making it really care about it and that kind of lifts it a bit. Mm. Um, like it lifts it out of the area of being like a Doctor Who special, well, which it, it has a bit of a feel of. Yeah, it's got some of the like great talents of British acting Some in the older generation. Like Simon Callow mm. appears and he played Dickens in Doctor Who, but Did also he? played Dickens on stage in a more serious sort of production and obviously an older Dickens. Um, yeah, he's kind of like best known for it. And then obviously he's got Christopher Plummer and Jonathan Price and Miriam Margolis. See, for me, Simon Callow, um, I think of um, For Weddings and a Funeral when uh, I see him. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, Yes, Christopher Plummer and all those guys. And, you know, Dan Stevens, mm. <laughs> who I like. Donald Sumter. Yeah. So, it's, yeah, it's got some really good performances in it. I don't know. It's just it was really fun and nice. It drags a little in the middle, but it's fun. Mm. I like it. Yeah, agreed. So, our recommendation is go see it. It's fun. Uh, if you haven't seen and you don't want to be spoiled, uh, might be best to pause the podcast now and come back later when you have seen it because we're going to talk spoilers from now on. Yeah. Um. So... I think right from the start, there's something really like the movie kind of has a lot of energy when it gets out of the gate. Mm. Um, and uh, the one thing that sort of keeps this movie going all the way through it for me is Dan Stevens really puts a lot of energy into this performance. Oh, really? Um, he is definitely overacting, but I think it kind of works for what they're doing. And that's sort of that's the kind of feel of this movie is that it's mm-hmm. a little bit kind of theatrical and a little bit like a play, mm-hmm. um, but it's that's what keeps it going. Oh, that, You have to keep up yeah. that energy. It's one of the more – probably one of the better uh, 
like visual representations of the writing process I've seen as well. The characters who just won't leave him alone yeah. and drag him out of his bed and into other places at the most inopportune times. Yeah. That was just really, I thought that conceit was really well done. And like just as they're about to do things, somebody interrupts and you're like, ah, and it's this frustration of like you can't do the things you want to do when you want to be able to do them. Mm. But then when you want to be able, when you want to do them, they just frustrate you and stop working. And yeah, like when you have the time, everything stops working. So yeah, I mm. completely get that. That whole creative process bit really kind of hit home with me where you're like, ah, everything about that I mm. understand. Um, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Whereas the whole um, trying to be the breadwinner and, and perhaps stretching yourself a little too far really hit home with me yeah that was interesting I mean I wish they could kind of done more with the wife character and things like that you know and especially the kids who don't have names like well, they just don't they they're just there in the background and you're like uh, what if this is all for them and the book is like you know so focused on them that the child who gets the most attention is his um sister's kid who's only in one scene because he gets turned gets into tiny Tim the most attention is his maid who's like yeah, not technically, technically a child, but I mean, she probably, she is, she's 14 or something by the looks of her. Yeah, that's right. Like I, I do like that it shows him in it Dickens in all of his complexity. Like he, uh, I think there's some fictional liberties taken with this. <laughs> I, from I what would I assume know. so. But the stuff about the, the family and what he went through, like his childhood was genuinely Dickensian. Mm. Um, like his wife was really terrible. He treated her terribly. I, they, separated I think because he I think he had like 10 children with his wife and then he also had some with a mistress like and no one he was always in financial strife and because he was supporting all these people plus his own family plus his sister's family and Mm. all this kind of stuff like really generous sort of person but also that that creative temperament stuff like one of my favorite bits was came towards the end when his wife calls him out on his behavior Mm. and like tells him that you know he's like oh you knew what I was like when I married you and she's like but living with you is another matter Mm. I think it's always important to remember, like, the people left behind when someone is a creative genius. Yes, me too. I like that there's at least an angle on that, but I do mm. wish they'd done more with her because she doesn't seem to have much of a personality, really. Mm. At least Tara has one. Um, the maid has kind mm. of a personality, whereas the wife just doesn't seem to have much of one at all. Um, yeah, well, she's she's a lot of her job is to, like, be the, I don't know, just like the sounding board or the voice of reason or the 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 home front kind of thing. Like yeah. it's like she's almost like the children. She's like a necess- completely necessary part of his life that kind of also gets overlooked. Yeah, there's there's definitely something about this that sort of it's working within the tropes of a Dickensian world rather than the real reality of one. Mm. This is not a realistic film in any sense. Um not no, the performances from, from the not, acting right yeah. down, yeah. Um and definitely not the um setting which was set on location in Ireland. But honestly if like there's a single shot at outside <laughs> it's all a, well it, i'd I be surprised it looked very backlotty to me mm. so like they shot on a like there's about three you can see, recognize about three corners that get redecorated depending on what what they need them to stand in for yeah and i i, well, I meant on a, location like outside rather than, oh yeah yeah, yeah. no um no, it, no, nothing was shot in london yeah it feels very enclosed and and uh but i don't know i think there's a something about the claustrophobia of it that works mm. but it also that also gives it that kind of tv feel mm. Yes, and I think the um, I think this will actually play really well on TV at Christmas in I do years too. to come. Um, it, it has a very I really got a Doctor Who feel out of it. I yeah. know I think it's because they, they've done a couple of Dickens Christmas Carol episodes on Doctor Who, but it, it also got the feeling of 
unrealism, like not yeah, realism. Yeah, the magical realism yeah, sort of. You're in this confined little world, this idealised version of London. Yeah. And you've got this, you know, magic men who come in and brighten up people's lives and then you have that con- contrasted con- – the contrast in the horrible – inequality between wealthy and poor people and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it, it definitely got that feel about it. Do you know what I was obsessed with? <laughs> right at the beginning, there's a bit where there's a guy who's serving them who's called Marley and he writes it down mm. and then um, his friend goes, he collects names. And I'm like, yes, that's what we do. We collect names because, like, you have to name characters all the time. And, and, and it's, it's really hard. It's really hard. Well, know, when I was brainstorming, like, literally, I would go around and, like, write down names from street signs and things because – you're just trying to think of names for these characters. And once you get the right name, that's when it's, I mean, that's completely accurate to my yeah. experience of it. You have to have the right name before the character comes to life. Absolutely. And I mean, you only have to look at how obsessed people get about baby names yeah, to know that people in general, writers as a species, definitely, but people in general love names and they love interesting names. Yeah. And, and Dickens is known for his names, like Uriah Heep and David mm. Copperfield and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly, and you need to like – but it, that's the thing is that, yeah, collecting names is definitely something that I could relate mm. to. I don't know. Yeah. I related to him a lot and also I just find – I find Dan Stevens so watchable and I know oh. I've talked about this before. Um, I've seen The Guest. You haven't – I think you should. But like this was the fir- – that was the first thing I'd seen him in. It's a sort of thriller movie and he's so good in it and since then I've been kind of obsessed. But it's – I just find him so like engaging and watchable and mm. interesting. Like he's not – sort of so handsome that you don't buy him as anything but he's just good looking enough and he's like he's always got he's always doing slightly more than what's currently popular mm. i don't know if that's he's got really me. how to explain it but he he has a, he's slightly theatrical himself like he's mm. a little over dramatic he over enunciates mm. he overdoes things a bit he's got an interesting face too yeah like i don't know that he looks anything like historical Charles Dickens but he's got like you know a big nose and these big blue eyes and he suits that big floppy hair he he actually really suits um playing and like, not quite right teeth yeah like not, uh, perfect yeah, teeth. not perfect teeth that's a really big one especially yeah. in that era mm. but he he actually really suits playing in period pieces mm. like he's got a historical face but then if you look at him in the guest which is um set in it's contemporary modern times, it's yeah. contemporary and he's playing an American and he's perfect so I think he's yeah. I think he's multi talented. Good actor. Yeah. Um, he is a good actor. But yeah, he um he does have a really interesting face. Really blue eyes, which you know yeah. I, like, I enjoy. But it's so like, and then they had to so find ex- a little boy with really blue eyes yes. to play little Charles. It was very cute. It's, he's so expressive. Mm. Is the thing like it is a little over what most people do, but that's it. Kind of draws you in really well. Yeah, and it but it fits in with the sort of group of actors that yeah. I was talking like Miriam Margolis does that really well too. She does. Um as you that rubbery sort of a face and, and Christopher Plummer as yeah. well has that sort of and even that, the girl who plays Tower whose name I can't remember. I didn't even look her up. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm she's very has young. a very expressive face. Mm. Not quite as over the top I think definitely very expressive especially when she's talking about oh he can't kill tiny tim and things like Mm. that and her whole face contorts but i like the way that um the the actors play sort of their real life counterparts and then the characters that are inspired by Mm. them or Mm. not completely inspired by them but a little bit yeah yeah so you get to see her be super expressive but then also be completely expressionless 
as the ghost of Christmas past, mm-hmm. right? The way that they animated the three ghosts, I really liked. That was really good. The magical realism was really cleverly done because it was never over the top or anything mm-hmm. like that, but it just felt realistic. And I like, I like the way that the ghost of Christmas um, yet to come moves. Oh, like yeah. Like the crusty old kind of it, thing. It, it's, it looks like the angel of death and it's yeah. meant to. And it looks really good. And I, I loved the um, the ghost of Christmas present played by his, his yeah. agent slash best friend slash whipping boy. He was wonderful. But good. I, you know I'm a sucker for a northerner too. <laughs> Forster, I think, was his name. The other thing, nice thing about him is that he has a love interest in the movie who looks like she'd be a love interest for him. Yeah, she's not. He goes on about how she's such an angel and she's so wonderful and everything, but she looks like a person, like any she's other a, well, person. She's, she's a, not a similar age to him, and yeah. she's a, like she's not like actress thin or anything. No. She just looks like a regular person that a person in 1843. Dickens is 31 years mm. old, so his friend is probably a few years older by the looks of him. Yeah, so he, she they both look like genuine mid 30s people in the 1840s. Yeah, it, it's not like. The, that's the thing about we talk about about why British and Australian actors get work in like period films because mm. they don't have perfect teeth. Like most Americans have teeth There's that don't just suit it. Teeth. It's a whole. It's the whole kind of shininess thing. And mm. she's not like yeah. She looks like a person, that, right? You know that a guy like him would like, and mm. and that they would be in a couple together. I don't know. That would just make mm. me happy. There's even a fat woman in this movie. It's two of them. Mm. It's crazy. But yeah, there's like a variety of people around them. Mm. Um, could definitely have used more women, but yeah, it's hard because it's such a male-dominated field that then yeah, you know, and, and it, it, giving the wife more to do would have helped. And and Dickens himself lived in a very white male upper class kind of world, mm. deliberately so. So I mean, you know, it is hard to um to do that. But yeah, I did like I, I I liked the characterization of. I mean, I don't really care whether or not it's historically accurate because the movie doesn't. It, oh, it's care a, whether or well, not it's historically accurate. In fact, accurate. if you go back to my plot description, it was – oh, no, I didn't I didn't write that plot description. I, I wrote – I ended up changing it. But the original plot description that I wrote was a retelling of the behind-the-scenes story of Charles Dickens mm. writing A Christmas Tale, be, be, A Christmas Carol, because, I mean, it's clearly not fully realistic. The, the, the way things work out, the neatness with which solutions happen mm. is not um, – you know, it's not going to be that neat and tidy. But to make a film, it makes it, it – of course, it makes an excellent film that in order to properly write the conclusion of his story, he has to go back and confront his, his deepest childhood trauma. Yeah. And so he does and that makes sense. And then he's got to, you know, confront the relationships in his own family that he's, he that have resulted in, from his own behaviour and, and um, have a reckoning. So he's got to have a reckoning with like things that happened to him but also things that he did himself. Yes. Which but is also, the point that, of Yeah, Christmas that's Carol. why I said his own Scrooge, which is like – his mm. own sort of dark past, like Scrooges that he keeps mm. locked up, and then also his his own tendency to think about number one and all that sort of mm. stuff. Absolutely. Um, and Christopher Plummer's Scrooge is so great. Like he just Fantastic. had me cackling a lot of the time with his. You know, he is the embodiment of all of Charles's negative thoughts. It's fantastic. <laughs> but he's so funny about it, and he's such a good character too because he's the first one to appear and the last one to leave kind of thing. Like he's always there mm. and he really is that – and he uh, is, you know, the heart of the novel, of course, and it's great. And Christopher Plummer is so good. Hire him for everything. He's in lots of stuff at the moment he and is. he should be. I, I'm, I like the uh, the renaissance of his career. It's great. Mm. And he and Dan Stevens were really good together. Yeah. They, they were just 
performing at the right level for each other and they seem to, you know, have mm. good chemistry and work well together. Yeah. Um, it, it definitely suits Dan Stevens' style and also the style that they seem to be going for in this film mm. to have that, that those very theatrical actors It involved. reminded me a little of um, Murder on the Orient Express too. It did that, actually. That kind of like slightly older filmmaking aesthetic of mm. – of, and that kind of older filmmaking style. Yeah, and very uh, non-realistic um, in yeah. terms of its whole aesthetic and its performance and the way it, it goes. Yeah, it was um, Not as pretty, <laughs> definitely. No. Um, not as much money, mm. I think, is the key there. Well, but. yeah, I mean, the director is someone I'm not familiar with, although he made um, Miss Pettigrew Lives for a Day. Oh, I love that movie. Yeah. so and That has Lee Pace in it oh. and Amy Adams. <laughs> um, and the lead is... Um, um, Francis McDormand. Oh, nice. Um, it, that's a great movie. Well, there you go. It's he's done a lot of TV. Um, Bharat Naluri, but the, the, I didn't know he'd made that. Um, but this and Miss Pettigrew are the I think the only film features he's made. Uh, I'm surprised you haven't seen Miss Pettigrew. I felt like I feel like I, it I would be like up your I, alley. It would be because I'm actually a 75 year old woman. But Lee my Pace and Amy Adams play, play a couple in that movie. Mm. That's a great movie. It's mm. really fun. Yeah, I can see how he could have made both those movies. Though. Mm. They definitely both have – there's similarities between yeah, them. Yeah, but I, it, there was a bit of, I think, television-iness about it. Like, he, there's some, he tries to do some interesting, like, high-angled shots over certain people or, like, he puts a GoPro on a um, horse and buggy at one mm. point. And they're int- it's, it's, a, there is, it's definitely very kinetic. Like, there's a lot of energy and yeah. movement in the camera. I feel like they were very constrained in the space that they were shooting in because I think yeah. that house – was a real house Mm. the way that the camera moves around that house feels real which means that they were very constrained because it's not a set that they're Mm. shooting in for the rooms and stuff right yeah yeah so you can't show things like the camera can't move swiftly you know over the top of things and around things like it does in murder Mm. on the orient express so i do think that like the constraints on with and i think that's a comment on the movie in general as well they didn't have a lot of money and all that sort of stuff and they worked really nicely within the constraints that seemed to be on the film to make it all work well i mean it it also suits like dickens himself you know never quite having enough money to live that way and so they use the house really well like there's uh, you you see mary margolis who i feel is a bit criminally underused in this like she's all she's like yes sir no sir doesn't really have a lot to do other than they show her getting drunk on punch at yeah. christmas at the end which Very is funny. amazing but there's a scene with her amusing the children by having them jump up the stairs which have got mm. like drop cloths on them because of all the painting going on and like that gives a sense of movement because the children are so full of energy and, and fun and then um there's a scene later on where you know, his wife can hear him reading to Tara upstairs because the wall, you know, the yeah. floors are thin and things like that. It, it makes sense mm. um, in a house like this. Yeah, Jonathan Price also, um, mm. I think, completes the kind oh, of my goodness. Um, core acting group. Yeah. Uh, it, in giving a performance that's really kind of nuanced but also heightened. Yeah. Oh, um, God, that got me. And then because of my own family history and then there was a man in the credits in the, in the electrician department who had the same name as my fa- late father okay i was like oh my gosh that got me in the field that one because i like yeah it, we've talked about this before in other movies like when you grow up with a parent who is like creative or interesting or whatever that the actual reality of growing up with them is is kind of horrible and it was horrible like he did end up in debtor's prison that's he did he and he tried he so hard portrayed as abusive no th- he's he's a very loving he's, caring father who but, is but it's his own flaws that kind of yeah tear the family and he's apart. 
but all, all you, and you see his flaws in in Charles, like the he's so dramatic yeah. and he wants to please everybody and he's so generous and he's just like loves to give his money away kind of thing. Mm. And you see that playing down through the family and it's just like it is really yeah, nuanced is the right that, word. His sister as well was really great. I wish that we could have mm. gotten more of her. I feel like I know that actress too. Um, also, I liked the dresses. On the, I don't often notice, but there's one dress that the wife especially wears over and over again mm. that's got a pattern on it that was really cool. Good um, detail as well because yeah. she would have worn it over. She probably only had a couple of day dresses or whatever to wear. Yes, um, and but also that gives a sense of that kinetic kind of mm. nature that the film needs is that it's a very kind of detailed pattern on the dress. So yeah. it gives visual kind of movement. Movement, exactly. Yeah, I don't know who played the sister, but the, um, the sister's makeup – she didn't wear. She wasn't wearing any makeup, or she was wearing very little makeup. Mm. Which, again, absolutely right for the period. Women didn't wear makeup at that point. But also, and good she had for a, the character to show that they were poorer than the other yeah, people. And, and, yeah, that's right. She had a plain face, and her hair was very plain. Her dresses were quite mm. plain. Um, although you do see a little bit of flair in there because she is still a Dickens. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was that was good. And yes, and she and her husband and and the little boy would dress differently. Like they they were in sort of more muted colors, mm. more muted clothing than the the Dickens children or the others. It does, um, yeah, the, the fact that her son comes in and then becomes the inspiration for Tiny Tim and sticks around for the whole movie while the, his own kids are ignored. Don't even get names. Yeah. <laughs> frustrating to me. He got two names. He got Henry and Tiny Tim and and Charles Dickens's kids get, I think, one of them's little Charlie. Yeah, yeah. There is, there's a Charles Jr. and there's a Kate Jr. as well. Oh, that's nice at least. Although I don't know if Kate Jr. was born at this point. There's only four kids at this point. I mean, <laughs> she, 31. No, she was. She kids. was in the credits yeah. as Kate. Uh, I think she was called Little Katie or something. Yeah. Because I looked at the names in the credits because I was like, they don't have names mm. in the movie. He never calls them by their names. Yeah, in the yeah. Movie. Like the little, yeah. The, so there's young Charles and there's also little Charlie, which is Charles, Charles Dickens Jr. And little mm. Katie, I think, is Kate Dickens Jr. It's nice that they uh, named one after her as well. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah. I like um, it. I like it when you have, um, yeah, like I like it when women name children after themselves. Yes. At least it's more equitable that way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh, yeah, it. I think the the dramatic portion in the middle of the movie goes a little too long. Yeah. The dramatic tension there goes for a little too long and, and it's too much of Charles being shut up by himself or just with Scrooge. Mm. It needed a little to be opened up a little bit more in that section. Yes. Because most of the time the movie kind of, once it's spent a while on one scene, they're like, okay, let's get out into London and let's go see this person and let's go see that person. And no, let's have these characters appear. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Let's set up something, but that's a lot of the beginning is let's set up this thing, that thing, this other thing. Mm, oh, God, the beginning has like every um, Victorian cliche that you've ever. <laughs> oh, that bit when Marley comes in and like the ghost to Marley comes in in the chains is so good wow. too. Yeah, that was really good. That and um, when Tara is the ghost of Christmas past, this that's like they didn't have much of an effects budget, but they used mm. it in really effective places. Well, that's the thing is that she's barely got any effects on her. She just mm. seems to be taller and – Well, it seems to be like good makeup and lighting. And, yes. Yeah. And yet it's so like effective, mm. like it just has that slightly unreal feel to she, it. It's really ethereal. That actress who I think is called Anna Murphy, she's like – I think she's only a teenager, I'm pretty sure, but she's very pale mm. and like kind of got that really fair skin as well, so it really suits her when they, they – She's all, all in white and she's got like these turquoise eyelashes and stuff. Just, they, it just makes it look really good. Yeah, exactly. They don't they do not do a lot. Mm. Everything is kind of um, – but it, it's 
a lot of it's in performance and stuff like that as well, mm. which made me think of The Ring just then. Yeah, and, and I would actually, say practical effects as well. My fondness for horror movies in general where you, like, if you don't have a whole lot but you manage to do a lot with it, mm. like, you know, you, you do a lot with the costuming and the makeup and stuff so that mm. you don't have to do too much with the effects. Yeah, and in this case, the lighting and the yeah. set design and um, and in fact, the the fact that they did have a house to use, I think, was really good because it gave a real sense of the geography of the place. Yeah, and that office room, whether that was a set, I which I assume it was, but I think the office is, I but the rest of the, the house office, isn't. But that office set with its this t- swirling staircase and everything, it's like a real, it's a beautiful, like everything you could imagine a writer's room being. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Um, it reminded me a bit of Sherlock Holmes that bit. Oh, very much. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, when he climbs up the stairs to go get the book for her, that's great. But, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a set because they pull beyond where the walls mm. would be to yeah, do shots. But you can see them not doing that in the rest of the rooms of the house and in mm. the staircase and stuff. They, You can see them being constrained by the – plus I don't mm. think you ever actually get to travel from outside the office to inside it. No, so it definitely you don't. looks like that's a set completely you separate. Often, yeah, you see people coming in the door often, people at the door, but you never, ever really see anyone walk up the stairs into the office. Yeah, it definitely uses TV tricks on that as well, mm. you know, when TV shows go and have like a, one set for a hallway and one set for inside. Yeah, and, and there's like clearly, a, yeah, there's clearly a, a, a good hallway set there because that gets made use of a couple of times. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I... I don't know. I think I feel like this is a really like sweet movie that it's trying really hard, and I appreciate that. There's a lot of earnestness in it. Yeah. In fact, at the start, when he talks about Americans and how like what he likes about America, and they're so earnest, and I was like, this movie is so earnest. <laughs> yeah, it is. But Dickens then he goes, I can't so, wait to get home. And Dickens is so earnest. Like yeah. he's just this walking ball of emotions. Like he's completely led by his heart the whole time. Yes, but the, yeah, it, it does kind of show you this contradiction in him that he. Um, is the people's writer and he, you know, cares about the little people and all this sort of stuff, but is also like really concerned about money, but he hates people who are obsessed with money and all mm. this. Like he's, he is contradictory. Well, but it, he feels like a real person in those ways in spite of the, uh, heightened sort of acting styles. I mean, and you, you can, you can easily see the reasons why. Yeah. Like you can see what, having such a deprived childhood or so such horrible experiences in childhood does to the adult who can't ever let go of the fear of not having enough money. And and the same experiences also mean, mean that he is incredibly generous, mm. which also leads to more of the same problems that he caused that that his father caused to his own family. Yeah, you can see him like he gives money to people on the streets and more money to his, you know, um, illustrator and all this sort of mm. stuff and then at home he's like oh don't change the candle over mm. <laughs> there's still some left there you can still use it and I, I like i feel that invite in my very soul yeah i i know what that feels like when you're like scrimping yourself over a coffee or whatever and just like oh yeah but then yeah it's that kind of contradiction between that and his between that and then like you public know persona yeah that's right when you just give away money or you'll spend money or he does a bunch of events for free because it's at the you know the charity yeah. yeah exactly um that and yeah the opening is very funny too because it sort of sets him up as this like his his brief moment of real fame and so now he's kind of got that to live up to mm. and it's cute it well it was really well well done like mm. you can see he's really excited to be going out on stage and everybody's there waiting for him and then he goes out on stage and there's this big song and dance and they let off like explosion like uh, confetti and he freaks out and, and drops <laughs> to the floor and i'm like i took that i very much related to as well yeah it's adorable this movie's mm. just adorable 
I think. It's really cute. Mm. I just I loved it. It was so lovely. And it doesn't feel particularly cheesy. Like it I mean, there are people who will think it is super cheesy, but it's also it's just so sweet. It is super cheesy, but it I don't know, it kind of suits it to be super cheesy. Uh, yeah, you, it needs to be earnest in order to work. Because it is, it's basically just a retelling of a Christmas carol, but with more nuance and with yeah, like, and I mean, the real people. Even, even this, the title, The Man Who Invented Christmas, is like this beautiful piece of hyperbole. Yes. Because like obviously Prince Albert, who was around at the same time, has a fair role in inventing you know what we know as Christmas today as well. But um, you just kind of like – it just feels right mm. that this is that that this is exactly how over the top it would be, and you can imagine like John Dickens being like, "Oh yes, my boy Charlie invented Christmas." Like yeah. you can almost imagine it. Yeah, you can, especially as as Jonathan Price. Um, oh, God, I was watching so him great. the whole time. I couldn't remember his name for some reason. My brain was giving me Jeremy Piven, which is not very helpful at the moment. It's got the same initials. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Close. No, I got it, and I I was getting confused as well because it was like he's. Character name is John and his yes. jo- real name is Jonathan. And So in my head I was like, you know, Brazil. And so I was just calling him Brazil <laughs> in my head for the whole movie. <laughs> it's uh. not helpful. I, I was like, at the end of it I'll have to look up Brazil and not remembering that there would be credits. Mm. Yeah, I, I was. I didn't worry too much about who who was playing who. I was just like, well, oh, yes. but he's so famous, and I knew that he was so famous, and it was frustrating me that I didn't remember because I think those, especially the three of them, Jonathan Price, Christopher Plummer, and Dan Stevens. Dan Stevens is kind of matching like their energy in terms of the style mm. of acting and stuff, right? Yeah, like it's a slightly older kind of style of acting, and he's going for that kind of. Um, that kind of style and and these are probably people he studied and stuff like that so Mm. there's just something really kind of like those three together are a really good match yeah yeah and then dan stevens kind of carries the rest of the movie by using that Mm -hmm. does that make sense yes yes i I did think a lot about um particularly dan stevens and, and christopher Plummer, but also yeah just with those being in the room with those actors i think must probably like he lifted his game yeah. to match them and they probably lifted their game to match the young energetic star of the movie i think it, it was a good piece of like theatrical alchemy and then he carries that through to the other stuff where that they're not in because right. they're not in every scene those no. two they're they're um supporting characters but he carries their kind of energy through for the rest well, of it the, as well the guy who's playing his best friend is also i think is really really good he um, is um he reminds me of stephen fry Oh, so much. Yeah. There's actually a guy named Justin Edwards. But, yeah, he remi- I thought it was Stephen Fry when he first came in. Oh, also the guy who's playing, um, you know, Thackeray. Mm. Um, oh, the whole oh, time. his frenemy Th- Thackeray is yeah. amazing. The whole time I was like, I know that guy, I know that guy, I know that guy, and I couldn't mm. remember it. Um, I think he is Irish. He has an accent. I can't remember what the accent is. <laughs> Miles Jupp. Oh, okay. But I've seen him. He's a comedian. Oh, right. I've seen him in, you know, when we were watching that other movie and you were like, oh, I've seen him in the end of year shows. I have seen him in all the quiz shows and end of year shows. Oh, right. But that's why I couldn't, because I was like, completely didn't place him as an actor and all. And he sounds completely different in mm. this. I think his hair has even dyed. He looks different. Mm. But um, the whole time I was watching, I'm like, I know that guy. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, it wasn't until I saw his name in the credits. I'm like, oh, right, the comedian. Yeah, right. Um, so they've got some people in here who are better known for comedy and things. Yeah, than and I, for I wouldn't acting. be surprised if, yeah, I'll, yeah, he is. Oh, Justin Edwards. Of course, I know him from the thick of it in Veep. Okay. Um, but he's um, probably also a comedian. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's also a comedian. It seems like they were very very much going for, like, comedy timing and things mm. like that. Mm-hmm. 
But he just had, he also just had like a really good sort of face. Like, like we talked about before, he looked yeah. like a regular person. Yeah, he does. But also somebody that is clearly a really good friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when he tries a to really fire good friend. Him. Like when he tries to fire him and he's like, you can't fire me. I'm your friend. I, I, he's not. And that's the thing. He's not even getting paid for doing this job. He's just being his agent. And- he clearly uh, is um, independently wealthy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and perhaps with that accent, like he's from a, a northern family that owns a mill or something. Mm. He reminded me of um, a lot of this. Reminded me of Four Weddings and a Funeral, probably because mm. I was thinking of Simon Callow. Simon Callow, yeah. Um, you know the guy in Four Weddings and a Funeral, who's his friend, who was like, "I just hope somebody you know doesn't find me physically repulsive and wants yeah. to marry me someday." It reminded me of that. Mm. Who was also old money. Mm-hmm. That was what I was kind of thinking of. I know he was northern, but it seems like he was like, yeah, money independently yeah. wealthy and. But he was also the son of a baker. Butcher. Butcher. Yeah. So it seems like he's like a w- self-made man kind Self- of thing. Yeah, no, a, definitely that. Maybe that's why they get along so well. Well, yeah, he, that's actually, that makes more sense because it wouldn't, if he was independently wealthy because his family owned a mill, that would not be not be something Dickens would be attracted to. Yeah. But somebody who's, um, who's you know, self-made like that, probably he would be. I did like when he's like, you don't, I'm only doing this as a friend. You mm. can't fire me. I'll see you on Friday. <laughs> it was really like, because. Uh, sort of when clearly when Charles gets into these moods, that's how you have to handle him. Yeah, when he gets into the creative kind of mindset. Mm. Yeah, I I mean, there's a lot of that stuff that I really get. I like watching on screen mm. where you really feel creative, but everything in your life is kind of like pulling you away from it, mm-hmm. and then you f- try to do it yourself, and it's, it won't work. Yeah, you yeah you can't force it. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> Yeah, that stuff is always really frustrating. Yeah. But um, it's so difficult to find the time to write. Like, at least mm. Charles Dickens gets to be a writer. Mm-hmm. But then when you finally find the time to write, if, some, if stuff is going on, if your cat or your dog keeps distracting you or somebody keeps wanting your attention or whatever. It's yeah. really hard. Yeah. It makes it really difficult. Yep. You can't get anything out. Yeah. So, to write a book in six weeks is definitely, although it's not very long. No, it appears to be five chapters, basically. Yes. That, well, I don't think, I mean... I'm pretty sure a Christmas Carol, like, is not even a f- – it's like a children's book length. Yeah, it's very short. Yeah. You could read it all on Christmas Eve, I think. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's probably not the most effective telling of a Christmas Carol ever. No, but, but it, it is a fun one. It is very effective. And it's a story that's been told a lot. And it, it, this manages to give a, a new spin on that. I think, and I think that's the other thing that it's being – it's cognizant of is that this story gets told – every year yeah. by one TV show or another. Yeah, there's a little meta-ness to this. So it knows you know the story, so it kind of says, well, what does that mean mm. and how, you know, what then can you learn from that? Yeah, and it kind of rethinks what the ghosts of Christmas past and present and future are in his life and things like mm. that. Yes. And how he gets inspired to think of all these things, you know. The, the movie sort I, – I read this review that said – that it seems like the characters do all the writing from then on. Mm. And I was like, I don't think they fully understand what they're representing. They're like, the characters are obviously not really there. No, but <laughs> so you, you have if to you've like, ever written anything, you completely understand how characters appear to you and how they have their own ideas about how things are going to happen. Yes, when, when, when Scrooge writes his own speech <laughs> and tries to present it to him. Like, I wrote a little speech from my perspective. And he starts reading that. it and it's like ripped for Margaret Thatcher. It's amazing. Yeah, it was really so funny. funny. But that is really 
you know, accurate that hmm. all the characters are like, you know, what about from my perspective? Let's go off like, down no. this rabbit hole. Yeah. And then, and then you, you often follow them down and you're like, no, I can't do this. this. I this have is, to get back on track yeah. to the story that I'm trying to tell. Not adding anything to the story. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that does, but it's, it is like, you know, it, it's just a visual representation of stuff that's all in your head. Like, Which is why it's so effective. Like, but a lot of the time also the ideas sort of the vague idea is there, but you're not quite there yet. And then like suddenly it will appear in full once you've kind of understand what understood what's going on. And I think mm-hmm. the visual representation of that in this is fine. Mm-hmm. If you understand it from a writer's perspective, it's fine. But I thought that was a weirdly literal way of taking it that the characters seem to come up with all the ideas. You're like, they're not, they're not there. Yeah, he's right. He's he's coming up with these ideas. He's coming up with these ideas. It just seems like they just come to him. That's Mm. how it feels when you're writing. A lot of the time, is the idea just comes to you. But a lot of the time, it's because you've been thinking about it for a few days and you know what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, that's right. It's like it's um. He knew he was trying to get Scrooge to change. Right. He knew that he was trying to get Scrooge to change, but Scrooge wouldn't change. Like he knew that that was what he was thinking about. He knew he was mulling over like ghosts that, you know, showed him the past and the present and the future and stuff. All those things were already there. Yep. He talks about them beforehand. And there's just nothing like the- a deadline to get you motivated. So he's got a deadline. And I that which reminded me of every uni assignment I've ever written where you kind of, uh, I at least spend ages like reading stuff and thinking about stuff and p- pasting in quotes and thinking about how I'm going to make that work in a, in a paragraph. And then suddenly you're two hours from deadline. You actually have to do something and you're just like, right. The end. Done. Handed in. Yeah. Um. And and I relate to that very closely as well. Yeah. Yeah. I do think this will be a good movie that will repeat a lot on TV. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know whether it's. I think kids would enjoy it. Like maybe older kids, just because it is very kinetic and very Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the performances are at that kind of like just extreme enough level yeah there's nothing in it that's too dark for them no either which it just it's a little bit scary and a little bit dark and it just holds back from being too much which is good mm. i quite enjoyed that there are bits you know when when um scrooge is in the, his own grave and things like that mm. that are kind of like existential scary but also fun yeah but like they're just the right side of scary. The cemetery scene early on where the real Christopher Plummer character is burying his business partner and it's yeah. like the middle of the night and the um, resurrection men are there waiting and he's making the priest speed up and stuff. That level of comedy added into that scene kind of makes it work even though you're in this dark Victorian graveyard at night. Yes, set. <laughs> yeah, great <laughs> Definitely set. not outside. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, it, it all is really um, – Works nicely together and is fun. Mm. Um, there were a couple other things I wanted to mention. I like the soundtrack. It's yes. really fun. Mm. It also helped with that energy. Yes. Um, I like the way they keep the energy up with that. And um, there's a lot of women in the um, behind-the-scenes stuff that I noticed. It was written oh, yeah. by a woman. Yes. There were a lot of women who were, like, not just doing costumes and makeup but also doing graphics and a bunch of other stuff that you don't always see um, mm. women's names on, which was nice. Yeah, Especially, yeah. like, if you just look through the crew, like, it was yeah, yeah. sort of at least 50% women on most fronts, which mm. was really interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Because I was reading all the names because you're like, this definitely was shot in Ireland. <laughs> yeah, we were trying Ireland. to work out how to pronounce some of them. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a couple of Neves in a row and things like that. Mm. But there's definitely, it, it seemed like it had a really diverse set. Mm. And, you know, obviously directed by someone who's not white as well. Yes, it did, did definitely seem like that. I think also... um don't know about Ireland, but Canada and in the UK at least, 
they, there are now like diversity quotas you have to meet yeah. when you do when you make films and they get government funding and this got a lot of government funding it did. from both Canada and Ireland so they um they do something which I think is really good and insist on you hiring more diverse um crews but yeah I think it also might have to do with the fact that the director is also non-white and um born in India so yeah it seems like it's actually you know a fairly successful independent movie mm. it sold out in a session today yeah. At the cinema we went to. So it seems like it's – and our session was pretty full. Mm, we were surrounded definitely. on both sides. So it seems like it's doing really well. I don't know yeah. what the box office is. I don't – and I don't know if it's come out in, in the US or anything, but it's – But it seems like doing it's doing really well, well here. here. Mm. Um, they did have a good advertising campaign for it. We saw the ad a few times and it really kind of got us excited yeah. to see the movie. Definitely. Um, but, I mean, really, you showed Dan Stevens to me. I'm like, yep, I'm in. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. What are you going to give this one? I'll have four stars. Um. Yeah, I'll go four stars too. Cool. All right. Uh, thank you very much for listening to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. If you would like to find the show notes or old episodes, they're on our website, silverscreenqueens.com. Uh, if you want to read Katie's review, wait, have you done one in a while? <laughs> Not in a while, no. Well, you can check out Katie's blog, silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. And if you want to find us on social media, we are at screen underscore queens on Twitter, facebook.com forward slash silverscreenqueens and tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com on Tumblr. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye.